You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday, and I'd love to welcome back on the program the one and the only Cruzanne McCalligan for this week's audio column. Cruz, it's great to speak to you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Although warmer than I want to be in the middle of November. How are you feeling? Yes, it's it's still 24 degrees. I mean, it's pretty amazing that the weather is still beach weather. But I'm wondering, yeah. is this really a direct effect of climate change and that, you know, our, our winter, we won't really get a, a winter anymore? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I definitely think it is. Anyway, but it's too hot for me. I'm, I'm over it. I want it to be cold now. I, I know I will regret that when it is cold, but I want it to be cold. And the reason being is that have you noticed recently in Hong Kong as a result of COVID when you're going to parks or playgrounds and stuff like that all the water fountains have been closed right understandably you know public health measures like you don't want a whole bunch of people putting their big slobby gobs all over the water fountains with COVID rampant right right. but it's been really frustrating because I've always been like a water you know I, I hate bottled water I don't like buying bottled water. I bring a water bottle with me everywhere, but I've been finding it really annoying. There's never anywhere to fill it up, right? However, Noreen, recently, and this is one of those things that you observe only when your life is a little bit boring, (laughs) but (laughs) I've noticed that people, that they've been switching out the traditional water fountains around different parts of Hong Kong. I was on Bowen Road, I was in the Apple Chow Playground, and they're putting in the water filling, water bottle filling up stations <sighs> instead of the press the stream water fountains. Press the stream and mouth to the stream kind of yes. thing. Oh, they've they've wow. replaced it with these like bring your own bottle, fill up water fountains, you know, oh. that look super flash. And a part of me who loves any kind of initiative that is, you know, positive for equality and public health which access to clean water is right i'm so excited by this it just filled me with joy because i'm like now i know i can fill up my bottle when i go out and it just anyway as i said one of those things you only notice if your life is a little bit boring not as as maxine would say not at all your life is not boring but it's great news because i i'm a yeah i drink about i think i drink too much water it's insane i always carry about two liters with me because i have this fear of being thirsty maybe it's a thing Uh, and plus we're breastfeeding so we're always thirsty um so i always just carry so much so it's great that i don't have to actually carry you know and i can actually carry an empty bottle this time and fill it out outdoors Exactly. That's exactly my point. So I thought about it a little bit more and I wanted to learn a little bit of the history of the drinking fountain. So um, apparently it's actually really, really interesting. So it stretches back thousands of years, as most things do, to ancient Crete and Greece, where fountains were fundamental building blocks of early life. So people would come and fill up jugs, while, while other sort of fountains were also like public sculptures that incorporated moving water. Now, it wasn't until the second half of the 19th century that anyone thought of building a fountain specifically for individual people to drink water on the go, right? So mm-hmm. in 1859, a group of very wealthy Londoners who were responding to outbreaks of cholera, which was spread by filthy water. So there was a group called the Metropolitan Drinking Fountain Association, adorable, and they were dedicated to the construction of public drinking fountains in the city using private money, right? So they used private funds to do this, right? And so at the time, many poor people in London were drinking from the Thames River, which would have been, in a word, absolutely revolting, right? (sighs) 
it was inc- it was it really polluted with human waste yeah. and oil and like all the stuff. It's it would really have been dirty. absolutely disgusting. And so the idea of free filtered water would have been huge, had a huge impact on public health. So the Metropolitan Drinking Foundation Association opened its first drinking foundation, drinking found, fountain in April 1859 and thousands gathered to watch it be turned on. So it was like that big of a spectacle. You came to watch a drinking fountain be turned on. <laughs> and it was so popular that the association opened hundreds more across the UK in the following decades. By 1879, so it's about 20 years later, there were almost 800 drinking fountains in London alone. And this also included things for horses and cows and dogs to drink from, you know, like troughs and stuff as well. And then they changed their name in 1867 to the Metropolitan Drinking Fountain and Capital Trough Association to obviously reflect the change. (laughs) Um, But now the the really interesting thing is if you look at all these different mechanisms of them working, there was kind of a main component. So there was a spigot that sent out a continual stream of fresh water, a basin for collecting the water. And this is a bit which gets a little bit icky, a metal cup attached by a chain, which was kept in the basin of the water so that thirsty parts by could grab the metal cup and drink it and then put it back into the basin of water. Oh, that, right, that's so, really thoughtful. But I, I must say, in co- I mean, co- I mean, not even during COVID times, we shouldn't be sharing cups or am I just sort no. of totally so Hong Kong about it? Exactly. So <laughs> this is the thing. So everyone used the same cup day in, day out. Um, and although germ theory had started to gain a bit of acceptance, everyone just assumed that water flowing over the cup would keep would it clean. clean it. Yes. And no one thought that germs could live on a metal cup, which, of course, they were wrong about. Now, across the pond, uh, a lot of New Yorkers in the 1850s also saw this in London. They wanted drinking water, uh, drinking water fountains, too. And the city gained access to a consistent source of fresh water in 1842 when there was an aqueduct which came down. But it took decades for many poor and working class people to get connections to this, which meant that so many people still had to rely on polluted wells and cisterns. And cholera and other waterborne diseases continued to be a serious problem into the 1850s. Of course, even for those with tap water in their homes or apartment buildings, there was also no way to get good drinking water out of the home, right? So this encouraged a lot of people to just kind of go and drink beer or alcohol pretty much um, and just be permanently a bit dehydrated. Exactly, because um, it, it dehydrates you. And then you can't even drink the water afterwards. Exactly. So then a New York Times article began regularly editorializing saying that they need to install drinking fountains almost as soon as the the newspaper started in 1851. This was one of the things that was always in the newspaper. In one opinion piece in 1855, they wrote, we are not aware of there being a single public fountain in the city of fountains, as it is absurdly called, at which a wary man may slake his thirst. So that's like one of of those things. Exactly, it was a city of fountains. So then when they got their first one in 1859, Crowds of thousands of people once again gathered to watch this being turn on, turned on. So, of course, you know, like the donation, people were using a lot of um, a lot of uh, private funds to do this. 
And they believed that, you know, giving urban residents easy access to clean, cold drinking water would discourage them from drinking the more widely available alcohol throughout the day. So this is quite interesting. So there were temperance advocacy groups and they would pool their money to build fountains in towns and cities across the country um, to try and temper people, to encourage people not to drink alcohol, right? So these fountains would have the word temperance written across them, um, which is amazing. It'd be like, you know, like, um, you know, like dry January on like all of your, all of your water fountains. But so this is really interesting. So back to the metal cup, right? Which is quite revolting Mm. in many ways now, if we think about it. Around the turn of the 20th century, health advocates realized that it was a terrible idea. And the first major figure to speak out against it, the so-called common cup, was someone from the MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a professor called William T. Sedgwick, who um, published studies demonstrating that common cups were capable of spreading disease. And they started these ban the cup campaigns um, between 1909 and 1912, making common cups illegal, which is so just just so interesting that this whole thing happened. There would have been a whole campaign to get rid of this metal cup. cup, Ban the common cup. And the proprietors of public drinking fountains sought of alternative ways of dispensing water because they're like, well, how are you meant to drink it then? And so one popular solution was to put, um, you know, to use a disposable paper cup, which were invented in 1907. That way, water fountain patrons could still enjoy the same drinking process they always had without spreading disease. But this didn't really work. Anyway, as you can imagine, a paper cup goes pretty mushy and isn't the most effective thing. Although even today, I think, I can't remember the last time I used one of those little pointy paper cups. Oh, yeah. Yep, we still have those at RTHK. Yeah, I was about to say, I think it was at RTHK, like a little pointy paper cup for a water dispenser. Um, But... Anyway, so this is really interesting. So then there's a ban the cup movement. It really takes hold. And then we have this thing of sanitary drinking fountains, um, which came about in quite a few different forms. But the main one is the one that we're pretty used to now, which is that spigot that shoots a jet of water straight into the air, right? Now, initially, they did the water just went straight up, okay, which actually isn't that hygienic because it requires you to put your entire mouth directly over it, which mm. would then mean, you know, any of the goobers in your mouth are then dropping onto, you know, it's just, it just doesn't work. It's like, it's pretty disgusting in its own way too. And so it just like took a revolution for someone to think, let's just angle it slightly <laughs> and then that might not happen. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that was quite, I remember being a kid actually, and like some of the best advice I've ever been given by a parent was when you go to a public water fountain, run the water for a little bit before you yes, give it a drink. Exactly. Yeah. As if that would cleanse it, but, and also don't put your lips too close to it, but then you just yes. see some people just, just kind of put that wrap their mouth around it i'm sure i've seen that before or yes. they, they try to um fill up their water bottle with it and it's good that, that that the water jets out into the water bottle but sometimes the mouth of the water bottle is quite thin so they sort of ram it right against the the, the tip of the fountain so it's actually still touching yes so. yes i agree so this is the thing. So this, there's like lots of things they did. And then, I mean, I think they're also underestimating what people will do when they're very thirsty, right? So mm-hmm. even though they tried like putting, they tried putting a cage over the whole thing and then people just put their mouth on the cage. Like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, I guess you're thirsty, uh, right? You just yeah. put your whole face on it. You're like, I'm so thirsty. Yeah. Um, I can understand. You're like, who cares about germs? I'm thirsty. Yeah. You know, we're 80% water. <laughs> anyway, so then when they did this thing, when they aimed them 45 degrees, this made a difference. 
difference. And, and it, ve- it pretty, pretty effectively tr- prevented people from putting their lips directly on it, except as in the instance you'd say, where there's not enough water pressure, in which case it's just irrelevant because you've really got to tuck yourself into that, don't you? <laughs> but um, now by the 1950s, public drinking fountains were everywhere. And this became um, a really interesting part of um, daily, uh, daily life public drinking fountains. Now, what's very powerful is and very upsetting and very tragic and horrific was that under Jim Crow laws, drinking fountains were when one of the many public amenities that was segregated by race in America. Mm-hmm. So for black people living in the South of America, they were a symbol of the pervasiveness of racism because they were segregated. You could not, Caucasian people and black people could not both use the same water fountain, which is obviously terrible, insane, wrong, horrific and and wrong in every other word that you could possibly think. So this was, um, so this was, you know, that was a very symbolic thing. And of course, now today, the good thing is that water should be accessible for all people. Um, But experts also talked about this is another thing that people had worries about was things with the effects of lead um, on pipes in water fountains. Yes. Yes, and um, apparently they started testing water at school drinking fountains for lead in 1986, which is not that long ago. Actually, it is quite long ago, but you know what I mean. For us, it doesn't feel very long ago. Um, And what they found was shocking. Many school drinking fountains were dispensing water that contained dangerously high levels of lead because the design of the fountains included some lead components. And this is really terrible. This was kids for like a whole generation were drinking water at school that had lead in it. You know, um, and I can understand that this this the thing is something like that. That's that fear of lead poisoning probably led to the um, lead. That's a pun. It wasn't intending to be led to the um, the rise of bottled water. You know, and and I know from like visiting the states and seeing friends and stuff that everyone's cracking open a bottle of bottle of water all the time, like a, a disposable bottle of water. They're buying bulk things. I'm like, don't you have like? Can't you just drink from your tap? You're lucky to be able to do that. You know, like yeah. you can't do that in every country. Um, but yeah, so it's quite interesting. So the, the the rise of bottled water was instrumental also in the declining popularity of drinking fountains. So if no one's using them because everyone's drinking bottled water, yeah. they're not being maintained, you know? That's terrible. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So in, in a lot of different places, they have to use, they have to rely on bottled water because they just don't have access to clean water. Well, I mean, yeah, because of the pipes or con- contamination. Gosh, we're so lucky here in Hong Kong. We just oh, boil. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, I boil my water. Do you boil your water? Cruise? Um, I do. I have a variety a of, yeah, we have, we have, um, I filter it through a filter jug. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But I do also, I would always boil it before drinking it. But I live in an old building, so that's probably the reason to do it. I have done some research in the past into the quality of Hong Kong's water for some past radio programs. Oh. And actually, our water quality is fantastic in Hong Kong. Yes. Um, the only thing that we have to be worried about is the pipes in old yes. buildings, to be honest. Yeah, oh, um, yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, we we don't have a filter, but we we just boil our water. But I've heard, yeah, some people just drink directly from the tap and no problems all these years. So yeah, well, that's probably why. Because actually, um, yeah, we get our water. A lot of our water comes from just across the border, that's and right. it's really well filtered. It's really well treated. It's 
it's fantastic water, actually. Um, I think if, you know, I think people should make more of a song and dance about the quality of our water, to be honest. <laughs> but the problem is that you can't just say everyone go out and drink from a tap because so many of our buildings that we live in are quite old. And it's the, the pipes they're traveling through to get to our sinks, which might not make them totally potable. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, you know, one of those sorts of things. Um, but the, the thing that's really exciting is that I'm, I'm enjoying this kind of we have a bit of a more reuse, re, um, reduce, recycle mentality that is emerging out of necessity as we talk about. Like, you know, the world is kind of in a state of decline and the popularity of drinking fountains is coming back. And I've been so excited to see in Hong Kong that, you know, there's an investment in improving that we had no water fountains for a long time with spigots and sprays but now you can bring your water bottle and i've seen it multiple places around hong kong them actively switching out these new ones so i'm super excited as i said if you have quite a boring day this sort of thing is a highlight well cruz thank you so much for your sharing i'm so glad you reported that there's the rise of the water fountain so people bring an empty bottle when when you're out and about and i look forward to more audio columns next week with you thank you so much cruz